My sister and I now enjoy a very close relationship. We get along very well. But when we were children, we fought a lot. We argued and uh, we fought a lot and we would get in trouble. And whenever we would get in trouble, we always thought that the other person was at fault. And then we would try to convince our parents to get on my to get on our side. I would try to convince my parents that, that it, to get on my side that my sister started it, and she'd say just the opposite. No, I started it, and it, was a, it would just continue like that. Sibling rivalry may be the oldest and most common human conflict experience. In fact, one of the longest-running conflicts in the Bible is the feud between two brothers, two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Before us today is Obadiah, the fourth minor prophetic book, which tells of God's wrath against Edom, who are the descendants of Esau. Heavenly Father, we have your word in front of us, and we ask for you to teach us. Lord, we know that you have a message for us to hear We ask that you open our ears and hearts to listen to you and to hear what you'd have to say, even today, as we read about judgment on Edom. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Looking at Obadiah, verse 1, it starts out, The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The name Obadiah is a common Hebrew name, meaning servant of Yahweh or servant of God. But The writer, Obadiah, doesn't give us any information about himself or the time of his writing. Because of this, it's a little difficult to decide exactly when it was written, but it's easier to agree on what it was written about. If we look at verses 11 and 13, it seems to reference the Babylonian attacks on Jerusalem around 600 B.C. It's also the shortest book in the Old Testament, just 21 verses, and it's directed against Edom and serves as a prophetic epilogue to Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 7 through 22, and also Amos chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, and we'll look at that a little bit later. The people of Edom were the descendants of Esau, who lived in the region southeast of the Dead Sea. That's a region within the boundary of the nation of Jordan today that borders Israel. Obadiah prophesies that God will destroy Edom because of its pride and violent anger towards Israel, particularly in taking advantage of attacks against Judah. Ultimately, the kingdom will be the Lord's. So, why Edom? Well, to answer that question, let's look at, a, at three episodes in the relationship and life of Edom and his descendants, and, or Esau and his descendants, and Judah and his descendants. 
three episodes. Episode one. Sibling rivalry, murderous anger, family divided into two nations. Sounds good. How's that? Does that is that teaser worth clicking and watching episode one? Here we go. Esau and Jacob were twin brothers born to Isaac and Rebekah. They were grandsons of Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis chapter 25, we find that they began fighting or struggling with each other before they were born. The Lord said to Rebekah, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, Esau was born first and by tradition would have the birthright. And remember, the birthright actually means both rights and responsibilities. In other words, the, oldest, uh, the eldest child would inherit the double portion of the family estate. So there was money and wealth involved, but that's only part of the picture. The responsibility was managing that estate and caring for all the elderly relatives and those young ones that need care within the extended family. So it was a great responsibility that came with it. Apparently, Jacob and Esau rivaled each other all through childhood and into adulthood. And there are signs that they played their father and mother against each other and clashed over their approval and affection. Now, the family that they grew up in was a domestic family. The estate was domestic. They raised shepherds. They raised herds and shepherded herds of sheep and goats. Jacob stayed near, tending the family business, and this pleased his mother, Rebekah. But Esau loved to go off hunting, which favored his father, Isaac. We remember once that Esau traded his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of lentil stew. This shows that he, uh, Esau did not want the birthright and the responsibility that goes with it. He flippantly releases it to his brother. The Bible says that Esau despised the birthright. But we also remember that Jacob was cruel and taking advantage of his brother's weaknesses. He made Esau swear away the birthright before sharing a bowl of stew with him. Now... If at first it seems that, Jake, that Esau gave up his birthright pretty, pretty easily, later on when Jacob stole the blessing of his father as well, this enraged Esau very much, and he became very angry with his brother Jacob. In fact, he pledged to murder his brother. Now, because of this pledge, Jacob in fear flees. He leaves his family. He leaves his ailing father his aging mother, and he goes off and starts his own family and gets his own uh, herds of sheep and goats over many years away from his family. Remember, we, we don't think of that very often, but this birthright that he stole, he actually fled and left it behind. Now, years later, Jacob finally decides to come back, bringing his family and his, uh, his, his herds. And he is still so afraid of his brother Esau. That he divides his family twice 
Three times he divides his family and his herds, hoping to appease his brother. But he gets a message that Esau is coming after him with 400 men. Well, somehow this plan does appease Esau temporarily. And he, they, they greet each other and Jacob is allowed to pass through. This is also that time when Jacob wrestles God. This is the amount of anxious, how anxious Jacob was about facing his brother. This is when Jacob wrestles God, his hip is broken, and he's named Israel. It's during this time. Now, even though they did meet, and Esau did not, in fact, kill Jacob, they still went their separate ways. And in Scripture, we, see, we don't see any hint that Jacob or Esau ever saw each other again. They split into two nations. All right. Episode 2. Many years pass, and the Edomites refuse passage. After the descendants of Jacob flee to Egypt through the drought, and then they're saved and rescued from Egypt when they become a, a great nation. Uh, they are rescued from slavery in Egypt. Moses leads them through the wilderness across the Red Sea. And as they approach the promised land, now they have an opportunity to cross the territory occupied by the Edomites, Esau's descendants. Verse uh, In Numbers chapter 20, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you. They ask... Verse 17, Numbers Numbers chapter 20, verse 17. Please, let us pass through your land. We will not turn aside to the right or the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink your water... And if our livestock drinks water, we will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Now, this highway that they were asking to pass along was sometimes known as the King's Highway. And it was a well-known passageway on a high plateau in this region. And many people traveled up and down through this highway, many different peoples and strangers, and the Edomites allowed passage. But when their cousins, <laughs> the folks that they never see except once in a generation, when their cousins, their hated cousins come, they said, no, you can't come through. We won't let you. And they would not let the Israelites pass through. In fact, they backed it up with a show of force and violence. Episode 3. Now, many, many generations later, after the rise and the fall of the great uh, kingdom of Israel, Babylon, Babylon is attacking Jerusalem. Babylon attacks Judah, Edom stands by, they refuse to help, and they aid the enemies and even scavenge what remains. 
Look at Obadiah verse one, or chapter 1, verse 11 through 14, as I read. This is part of the prophecy, part of the word of, the, word of God. Verse 11 through 14 of Obadiah. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you, Edom, were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Now, the Edomites' uh, land was a high, rocky, arid land. And they, they could have offered defense for Judah. They could have offered defense for Judah. They could have helped defend Judah against the Babylonians. But they stood back and they let them suffer just as the prophecy predicted. In fact, they rejoiced over their suffering. They gloated over it. They plundered what remained. And they even, there's history that shows that the Edomites even came in and occupied the land and the homes that were vacated when the Babylonians left and carried uh, Israel off to, uh, 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 to exile. Verse 14 says that Edom actually stood at the crossroads and cut down Israelites that sought refuge or escape. (laughs) Some brother, huh? (laughs) Some brother. My goodness. I think this family has a lot to fight about. They have a lot to be mad about. They have a lot to argue about. But what does God want us to understand from reading this prophecy today? What does he want to show us? Well, let's take a look at what the sins of Edom were. All right? So what were the sins of Edom? First, actually, I count about five. The first one we'll see here in Obadiah verse 3. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3. The first one, the pride of your heart. Pride. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who, were, who live in the clefts of the rock and your lofty dwellings who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? So remember the high position that the land offered? It was, very, it was very safe and secure. They could defend against attack. It was hard to attack Edom without being seen a mile away. So this gave them a very false sense of security. And this false sense of security led to pride of the heart. In our world, we tend to overlook the sin of pride. Other sins get more attention because they're more offensive or maybe they're more notable. But pride hides sometimes. It hides deep in our hearts. The first casualty of pride is our heart when we shut out God. Next, our pride shuts our eyes and our ears. And we shut out others. 
And then we no longer notice the needs of others or care about them. We look only for our own interests. God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Pride is also very destructive. Proverbs 26 verse 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. And again, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is ultimately a rejection of God. Psalm 10, 4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Pride says, I don't need God, or I can live without God. That's what pride says. So, how do we deal with pride? How should we deal with pride? Well, one way is to pray for the opposite. Pray for the opposite. Ask God to give you humility. James 4, 6 reminds us, but he gives more grace and requotes uh, the Old Testament saying, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Pride is one of those sins that it's hard for us to recognize in ourselves. We need God's help. And you know what else? We need the help of, our, of others, too. It's important for us to remember to seek counsel of other godly men and women in our lives. Other family members. Ask them, in what ways do I show pride? In what ways do you see I shut out God from my heart? What do you need that I'm not understanding? What do you need that I'm not seeing? These are good, humble questions to ask. Okay, so pride is the, the first an obvious sin of Edom that we read in Obadiah. The next is violence. If we look at verse 10, uh, verse, Obadiah verse 10, it says, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In each episode of the relationship between Jacob and Esau, we see that there seemed to be only the threat of violence, but not actual violence, right? I mean, Esau threatened to kill his brother, but he didn't really kill his brother. The Edomites said they would attack them if they came through, but that didn't happen, did it? So where's the violence? God said he was punishing them for their violence. We can do violence. to They were doing violence to their brother by threats, by making them, making Jacob flee, 
We can do violence today to our brothers by what we don't do. We can do violence by what we do ignore. We can do violence by standing by and saying nothing when others are committing violence. That's violence too. God hates that. God hates that. His redeemed people, if we're redeemed people of God, He doesn't have us here that we stand by silent and do nothing in the face of violence. Amen. Now, there's other sins as well, and we can take a peek into the book that we just studied last week in Amos. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Uh, It's just two verses I'd like to read real quick. Amos chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Amos chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. And here we see that Edom is actually one of the nations that in the first chapter of Amos that God reminds uh, that there's judgment coming. And he spells out the sins of Edom. Here we go. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. And his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Timon, and and it shall devour the strongholds of Bosrah. And those two names, Timon and Bosra, are regions of Edom saying that God's judgment will be over the entire land of Edom, over the entire land of Edom. But there's the sins. Uh, I ca- uh, they cast off all pity. That's lacking compassion. Lacking compassion. Uh, also, Edomites uh, bore continual anger against Israel and unforgiveness these are the sins that God is punishing. Look now and flip back to Obadiah chapter 1 verse 11 through 13 where we see the fulfillment here. On that day you stood aloof and on that day strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered into his gates and you were like one of them. You stood by. So what does God teach us about these sins? Lacking compassion, continual anger and unforgiveness. What does God teach us about this? Well, one place is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. Our Savior was preaching and said, You heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. We can also look at James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man but does not produce the righteousness of God. These days I am frequently praying for God to teach me to listen and teach me to hear what I haven't listened to or heard before. And asking God to help me be slow to anger. 
and slow to speak. We can also look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, and then 31 and 32. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, this is our recipe. This is what God has given us. This is, God has left us the instructions of how to be at peace with one another. Of how to show mercy and respect and love and justice to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Praise God. He forgave me. He forgave you. He forgave us. And we should forgive others. So. If we look at the uh, section of Obadiah between verses 4 and 9, we can read the, uh, how God speaks of the complete destruction of the nation of Edom. He goes into quite a lot of detail. I'm going to pluck out verse 7 and read that. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. This is God spelling out the destruction that's coming. Now, many believe that all of this prophecy has already happened. It's already been fulfilled. It was, it happened in, it was fulfilled in the day of uh, the Babylonian, or soon after the Babylonian exile. And uh, they look to the place and see, well, the Edomites are, not, are no longer there. They don't still occupy that land, and so this, this prophecy has been fulfilled. There's some others that say, no, some of it was fulfilled even as recent as the 1960s and 1970s, even now, even, you know, even nearby. Now, some say, no, the Lord has preserved a remnant of Edom, a remnant of the Edomites that will yet... Feel, uh, that, that will yet, or he's left a remnant of the Edomites for a future, future final destruction in, in a final uh, fulfillment of this prophecy. But either way, I believe that that's less important to us than the focus of the teaching of this uh, prophecy that the destruction that occurs to Edom is God's wrath coming to fruition. It's God's wrath coming to fruition. And it's the wrath that we will all suffer. That every nation will suffer. And every person will suffer. Without the mercy and grace of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Let's look at verse 15. And I think this is the, 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 uh, the key verse of this chapter. Verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. For your deeds shall return on your own head. Readers, 
worshipers, we should read this and understand that the judgment of God is severe and real. And we, with, without salvation, we all face it. We all face it. This prophecy seems to be against Edom, but don't get stuck there. It's pleading with us. It's pleading with you. Come to Jesus. Come to the Savior. Bow your knee. Humble your heart. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him alone is salvation and no one else. Now remember, my sister and I as children, when we would fight, we would beg our parents to take our side so that the other would be punished instead of us. (laughs) In truth, usually we both had a share of the blame. We both had things to repent of. And we both had to learn to practice godliness and to be at peace. Grace Church, these days we are hearing and seeing some very troubling things in our society. We are seeing things that make us angry. Things that hurt. We are seeing many of our brothers and sisters crying out for justice. And some crying out for chaos. Even Christian brothers and sisters seem to be angry with one another. Saying, we're too angry. Or we're not angry enough. Or we're not saying the right slogan. Or we're saying the wrong slogan. Or no, that doesn't mean this. Or this doesn't mean that. And we're fighting with each other. Over who hates evil the most. (laughs) Or that saying we're... We're angry at the wrong things and we're tearing each other apart. Like angry children, we are clamoring for God to take our side and punish the others. Hatred and anger is not the way of godliness. But, dear friends, we also are seeing some who are making renewed efforts to listen and repent. In godly humility... We're seeing some who are having difficult and awkward and painful conversations. I'm having difficult and awkward and painful conversations to show respect to one another and to seek peace and justice and righteousness that only comes by the grace and mercy of Jesus. And in the end, the last verse of Obadiah says... That Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The land of Edom, our land, it will all be the Lord's. Amen? Praise God for that. Bow your heads with me if you would. Our Heavenly Father, we do read here about your wrath on Edom. We hear listed the sins that they committed. We hear how total and utter destruction was predicted and fulfilled to them. And we take this, Lord, not as good revenge on our enemy, Lord, but we take this as a wake-up call on our own lives. We take this to heart. 
that we need a Savior, that this world needs you as a Savior. And we know and trust that this world will be yours. Lord, even so, come quickly, Lord. We pray in the precious, lovely, matchless, holy, righteous name of Jesus. Amen.